we want to be ubiquitous. We quickly saw that if we really got to succeed, we need to be true to the community. We need to be able to deliver something that gives you instant gratification and gives you a lot of value in a small scale, but never holds you back when you want to scale this up to a Fortune 100 company. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. We are pleased to have the team from Sanity join us. So we have Magnus Hillestad and Evan Westvang. Why don't the two of you introduce yourselves also so we can get your proper pronunciation? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm Magnus Hillestad. I'm a Norwegian based in the Bay Area, CEO and co-founder of Santi. And uh, my name is Evan Westvang. I'm one of the one of the co-founders that did product and marketing throughout the bootstrap and until our series A. Fantastic. Great to meet you both. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've met you before, but great to have you on the show. As, as is customary, start us out with explaining what Sanity is, and then we'll go into the history. Yeah, thank you. So Sanity is a platform for structured content. We help businesses accelerate content velocity by treating their content as data to distribute it at any application or device or channel from a single source of truth. Awesome. And and the, these are kind of, that's a kind of an abstract, um, but but also apt explanation. <laughs> what I mean, what what's I mean, when people hear that you're a content store, they might ask if you are a CMS, which is like this thing that we're used to talking about storing content. But notably, you didn't use those words, which is interesting, right? Yeah, and of course, a content management system, and we're a content platform, so we cover everything that a CMS covers. Historically, CMSs have been very publishing-oriented, become legacy. They are most often monoliths that treat both content authoring and actual presentation layer together with some sort of content storage inside there, of course. But the problem is that when the requirements for businesses are changing and they're pushing their digital agenda, they're no longer looking just at websites and HTML. And they definitely don't want that web page builder to be included in the content software. So then to solve that part, you get headless CMS, which I also didn't use, because headless CMSs are CMSs, still a lot of the similar thinking in terms of how you treat content, but now you separate it and you decouple the presentation layer to an API. That's all good, and of course that's needed, and of course to that definition you could also call a headless CMS. But the challenge with that is it only liberates one factor of the challenges you had with these old systems. Because what, what really happens when, when businesses start invest massively into content and they start investing massively into various kinds of presentation layers, you need to have content integrity. You need to be able to interoperate your content with other sources of truth in the company, being product data, customer data, pricing, or what have you. But also, most importantly, you need to be able to treat this as a single source of truth and distribute it to any application or device from a single source of truth. That requires you to treat content programmatically. And that's a part of the development that has never happened on the CMS side, and, and people don't think about on the CMS side. And we also don't think it is a content management system. It's a platform for building your content infrastructure, for building your integrations with other data sources that should be treated as content and to treat content as data, and then to distribute it to anywhere. 
And of course, most of the time that are web applications and, and websites, but more and more you see people using applications, people using this for other mediums such as voice, but it doesn't really matter. The point is that you should separate presentation and design. You need to separate that from content so that you can iterate on whatever, however you're presenting the content while still storing your content from a single source of truth. That's what we're providing. I'm still abstract. Maybe Evan should, should tell you how we're actually doing this. <laughs> it's appropriate to stay in the abstract. I mean, the, these, these terms have a lot of baggage. They mean a lot of things to people, and that's not what we're just talking about here. So I, I appreciate the, the kind of reinvention in the vocabulary because it's necessary. Evan, we should get to you and, and your explanation on how we do this, but maybe I can interrupt and, and let's, let's take us back to the beginning what inspiration led you to this? Uh, maybe, maybe some of this, the story of sanity are, are either of your stories, uh, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, tell us what led to sanity. Sure, I can speak to that. We used to be a consultancy uh, working out of Oslo for institutions like Deleuze Video and Renfro that uh, made the Highland Park in New York City for sort of MIT. We used to be like people that built websites for sort of people and redid people's brand, brand identities. That was one part of our business. And the other part of our business was, was building infrastructures for media companies. So we had like operations and more like larger scale ops in sort of house. And I, I think when we looked at the... When we, we, we didn't build websites or we built bespoke software for very many years. And then when we went back to building web, websites, we thought that it had, that this market had sort of changed. Uh, and then we went and sort of looked at the offerings and we were kind of like, why? Because at that point in time, the logic of APIs had started to assert itself. The idea of having sort of content in databases. I think for a lot of for a lot of developers, Ruby on Rails sort of showed the way to sort of this sort of setting up a Postgres database to sort of treat your sort of content to build websites with. And we were kind of like, why isn't this available as a commodity infrastructure for people who want to do this right? When we look at what these customers were doing, it's kind of like your web for a lot of people, your website just becomes the database that you have. It becomes the way you structure your information. And if it's, a, if it's a bag of WordPress pages, that's the database that your company has. And we were working uh, with a company in the Netherlands called the Office of Metropolitan Architecture, who are a, they're sort of world-renowned archi architects, and they really didn't have a database of their work apart from their uh, website. So when they came to us, we were kind of like, what if we rebuilt your website, but we're not going to do the website first. We're going to create you this pristine archive of all of your information. And then we're going to express that as, as a web website. We're also going to express it as business development tools, uh, coffee table books, anything else that you guys might need. That was the sort of start. And that was the MVP. Then we finished the website. We finished the, uh, the business development tools. And then they came back and asked for books. And we were sort of like, sure, we can, we can reformat your website to books. It's easy. And... And that's what we sort of did. So we made like print ready PDFs from the sort of a website. So that's where the, so I think we just sort of, I think it was just a part of our practice that we were kind of, kind of like, why isn't this super easy? Why can't we just as a commodity treat content as data? Got it. So, and, and to be clear, so Evan, you're, you've been doing this for years as part of the operation. Magnus, you were along for the ride. Is that correct? No, actually this was before my time, and Evan and Simon and Ivan, my three co-founders, they were still running the agency here in Norway. I'm a weird uh, recovering private equity professional who, age 35, got tired of numbers and wanted to learn code. 
So I started coding and one thing led to another and I left and thought I would learn more technology and maybe start a company. So I met Simon and Evan and Avin around launch by the end of 2017. And they were still operating the agency and uh, juggling the project of sanity in parallel. And um, after some time, we, we found out there was a great match in the way we think in terms of culture. And I'm not a content person, but EQT Partners, where I used to work, bought Sitecore. So I had some knowledge of the space. And we also used EpiServer. And uh, when I stopped being a finance professional, I actually moved over to the IT department and built some application on top of Epi. It was a mixed experience. So basically what we saw that it was a market with fundamental problems to be solved. There was a way of going to market and a product that lent itself very well to product-led growth to focus on delighting users and, and customers very quickly. And that is something where we all started. We just put it out there. And then we went together and we, we formed the SaaS company, Sanity, moved over all the eight employees, seven employees of the agency and started building. And we went out in Oslo to do our first um, pre-seed round, I would say, in March 2018. Then subsequently, we, well, already then we knew that if we were going to be successful in this, we had to go pretty, pretty big because the world is full of local, vertical-focused CMSs. Building a CMS isn't that hard. Building a platform that could really go broad and people can build on is much harder. And there's some in the content space who've done that successfully historically in different kind of shapes. And obviously WordPress is, is one of them. The opportunity we have with approach that we take to content is exactly that and must be exactly that. It even goes beyond that because the way we treat content programmatically, it lends itself much more to sharing between organizations which would lead to different ways of thinking about content than you did have in the HTML-centric world. Got it. So, Evan, you got this wealth of kind of in-the-trenches experience that we're so happy for because now we all get sanity. And Magnus, uh, we appreciate your midlife crisis and how it led to <laughs> working with Evan. <laughs> so, so, got it. So you have, the, you have the core team together. You've built some code or you, know, you, you had a couple projects and so you've, you've got some code lying around. You formed this other entity, raise a little money. It was the vision clear then? I mean, I, I, you knew you wanted a content platform. You knew you had these ideas, but we're going to get into some of the concepts that you're kind of pursuing today. How quickly did all those emerge? I think I can say we spent quite some time in the sort of bootstrap because we knew that we needed to get these things right. Because it's sort of like in the philosophy of the product, it's, it's about getting the fundamentals right. And then yeah. when you look at the problem, you're kind of like, because the first MVP had the user experience parts of it and aspects of the APIs right, but it didn't have the sort of the entire package that we knew that we would need to sort of ship. And if it's one thing that you know with software, and especially software platforms that other people build on, is that they very quickly harden around the original intentions you had. They really just sort of just ossify. They just sort of, sort of, you're stuck with, especially when people use your stuff in sort of a production. You might think that you're going to add things at a later point, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't. No, so we actually spend quite a lot of time sort of doing things like, let's write our own 
query layer on top of the Go parser so that you can get at the data and reshape it in the query language. Uh, let's uh, let's sort of have references uh, like you have in SQL, but in a document database. Let's make sure that it's real-time, because if it's one thing that's for certain, no one adds real-time collaboration to a product that doesn't have that at a later point, because it's just too, it's just too hard. So we spent a lot of time on these, and we, we knew that we wouldn't be able to ship the user aspect of real-time for another maybe year, but we made sure that the base APIs that we actually shipped had all of the right capabilities because we wanted to do it fundamentally right. And I think that's what also gives the platform its strength. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom there. I face this a lot. I live in Magnus's old world, investing in companies. And, mm. and there's always talk of like, what if you know, so-and-so incumbent does you know, shifts their business model, their product to do. And it doesn't happen. I mean, mean, it happens if you're in the core path of the current trajectory of the product. But you're right. Things ossify fairly quickly. That's part of the magic of software. It's really efficient to distribute because Mm. you build it once and and then you sell it a million times. But Mm. but you can't build it a million times. So so great. You've got these these core ideas that you could developed and kind of tested. And then as you're building now the product, I'm sure you have ideas about open source. You have ideas about proprietary. You ha- like, how do you think about not not just that spectrum, but I'm sure there's others. You know, SaaS model. How does the product take shape, and what informs the thinking there? There was a lot when we started working together. The fundamental principles and the kind of the first principles that Sanity is built on were already in place, and the fundament was there. There was a lot of vision around other pain points to solve and what we should do around the product. But there wasn't so much time spent on what's the product approach go to market, what's the the go to market model, what's what's the distribution, but also what's the end vision and how do we get there? And other than making something big, I guess it's fair to say, what's our place in the world? What's really the application? How broad could this become? And how should we think about? building that in a sustainable way and in a fast way. And this started, this was the fundament of us going together and creating the SaaS company then January 2018. Well, the first client we declined a couple of times was the UN in New, in New York. That was pretty cool. That was like end of consulting. We don't do any professional services. Yeah. We do a bunch of customer success for our customers, but we don't take money for that other than the SaaS cost as normal. So. What we found was that there was questions around enterprise versus uh, SME businesses. There was question around open source versus closed source. There were questions around what direction should we take in order to get to this final product? And we also had a big question about how do you, how do you build a company around this? Because at the point we were 10 people in Norway, but we, we already knew that we had to move to the US. I currently live in the US. Evan been living there up until now, just moved back. We have other Norwegian colleagues in the Bay Area and we've been building a team in the US. So roughly half of the company is in the Bay Area or in the US. And there were a lot of these things that we need to figure out early, but we fairly quickly came to a couple of big important insights. We want to be ubiquitous. And this was maybe more pushed on the market by us, but we, we realized it from seeing the feedback we got for the first six months in market. We launched end of 2017 and uh, the summer of 2018 we got inbound from very large companies that were calling us to say we've been looking a year 
or longer for what you're doing. Because we've been following the trends in the content space and none of the solutions there serves the needs that we have. And we put out a study in August 2018. It was still pretty early with the classical question, what would you do if we were gone tomorrow? And with some additional questions of what's your alternative, et cetera. It showed that half of the users of Sanity said the alternative was to build something themselves. Mm. So we very quickly saw that we, we had a different appeal than just showing that it's a classical CMS product. And already then we had people in the community. We already established a Slack community by then that now has thousands of users, but then started to have quite a few hundred. And when we asked them what they think about Sanity and how they compare Sanity, they would answer, do you mean as a headless CMS or do you mean the full product? And that still kind of a little bit stands with us because one of the challenges that we've been seeing as, as founders is we know what we are and we know what we want to be viewed as, but there's this huge trend of focusing on Jamstack and everybody's talking about headless CMSs, which we 100% cover what you get from a headless CMS. But for us strategically, that's not what we really are. That's not the broad fundamental problem that we're superiorly solving. So we've been spending a lot of time since we, and I think in particular, since we became part of Heavybit and moved to the US uh, summer of 2019, started working with James Lindemann at the team at Heavybit, and later also with, with Threshold when we did our Series 8, we've been, we've been trying to reshape how do, we, how do we communicate this thing that we are and how do we explain to people that this is fundamentally important for how you build your content strategies, which is a core part of your digital strategy for years to come. This is not a trivial decision you're making. And we quickly saw that this really speaks, of course, to developers. It speaks a lot to, I would say, highly technical product managers and digital executives. And those were the first users, those were the first customers, but both from small organizations and big organizations. So again, pulling it back to the point of ubiquitous, we, we quickly saw that if we really got to succeed, we need to be true to the community. We need to be able to deliver something that gives you instant gratification and gives you a lot of value in a small scale, but never holds you back when you want to scale this up to a Fortune 100 company. Fantastic. Let's pause the history because I think we keep bringing up the fact that you have these unique approaches. And I don't know that we've kind of brought that fully, we fully grounded um, what, what it is that you do that's unique. And I, and I want to spend some time on that. So let me throw out what I understand are some themes that you tackle and we can walk through these and, and let me know if, if these are the right way to talk about it. So one, in your traditional CMS, information is always stored in a data model relative to how it is intended to be presented, is my understanding. And, and you kind of throw that out the window. You're like, let's not store data how we intend for only one purpose to present it. Let's store it in a, in a representation, in a, in a way that describes what it is fundamentally. And then when you want to present it, you, you pull it out and do whatever you want with it. I think this is, uh, that's, that's the central point, right? And I think this is what, uh, I think the sort of the historical parallel here is what sort of relational databases did. Okay. Relational databases, it's basically the idea that you can uh, store information and then according to local business needs, you can transform that information into different views and make it valuable given your circumstances, right? And relational databases show up and give us things like SAP and Just-in-Time and organizations like, like sort of Apple. And I think sort of like what we're trying to do here is saying sort of like, what if you, instead of describing your website, could describe 
the domain model of your organization? What if that was what you were actually doing? And what if editors, what if for the people doing this sort of work, the editors could feel like they're doing exactly the same thing? The abstraction level doesn't change. In fact, the abstraction level goes down because they're no longer sort of creating an employee page or making an employee template with some random stuff in it, some specific layout. They're just like describing the employee. They're describing for a consultancy. They would be describing a, an employee. They would be describing the employee's case, uh, the employee's uh, educational background. Uh, they would be describing case studies, customers. They just describe what their organization is sort of doing. And then you materialize aspects of that as a, a website. And then there's sort of like the question that is sort of like what specific characteristics does the system have to support that kind of sort of usage, right? Because that's what we spend all of that time building. What, what does that entail? I'm going to throw out a claim here and, and maybe it's contentious, but I'm going to say that CMSs aren't wrong. They're just dated. There, there was a time when we yeah. only were building mm -hmm. one website. Yeah, yeah. And if you're only building one presentation layer, then it kind of makes sense to put the content in the one form it's going to be presented. They're yeah. not even necessarily dated for some use cases. Right. And I think headless CMS can work well for a bunch of use cases. Right. Mm. Although I think there are some principles of how you efficiently should put those experiences to market yeah. that we see still people come to us because of code first and because of the flexibility you get. But not everybody needs to solve the complex things that we can solve. So there is a spectrum of things that would start you know, starting all the way with the, with um, uh, low-code web page builders. Yeah. I also think that there's an important thing here that is sort of like, I think writing systems optimize around circumstances. So I think sort of like when you have a page-oriented web, right, that's then you, then your writing tools optimize around authoring one in one page. What's happening here is that value is created over APIs and businesses are assembled from networks of APIs. Yeah. And this means that you then, if you have content represented and authored in a sort of way that captures value in a way that makes it amenable to being transported over APIs and transacted over APIs so that it's much more valuable in these networks than the sort of the logic of authoring suddenly changes and then these representations make sense. I don't think Sanity as a system would have made sense 10 years back. It certainly makes sense now. Because then the richness of the data models and the accuracy of the representation matters. And it's sort of like, can you update the documents in real time? Can you use it in an event-driven, non-ETL sort of enterprise hub? Does that actually work? Can you text? Sort of all of these design decisions actually matter for how much value capture you actually get. I'm imagining the cognitive dissonance, you know, if I'm building a one-site system, WordPress or whatever feels very comfortable. And then if, you know, say I'm an e-commerce company and then I want to like connect Amazon mm. and, and send some of that content to Amazon. And then I feel a little cognitive dissonance. I'm like, do I need to make another kind of branch of the CMS mm. to yeah. fit their needs? And then I'm repeating myself. And then I'm, and then, then the frustration sets in where I'm like, I wish I just had a, a central kind of store of content around the, the, as you said, kind of native data model of the content. And then I can push it across to, to any outlet, to any API, to, to whoever consumer wants it. Yeah, and I think even more, Eric, also want to distribute it to many places. But when you just want to start to pull in some other data sources into your content experience, 
then you immediately see some of the some of the problems that we're talking about because of course you can do that flats html but you can't really do that from a single source of truth without having a support that thinks that way and supports that way so what we're quickly seeing is that especially companies that think about the red thread of the product experience that customers should have when they're experiencing your brand, your product, whether it be support, whether it be marketing sites, or whether it be some sort of onboarding or product support tool, you really need to be able to control that experience and make sure that you have content integrity and that you're able to iterate on those experiences so that they, you could react to all the feedback you're getting and optimize those kind of experiences and, and, and change them. Because they're not static as a Maybe as a marketing web page, it's a bit unfair to say that a marketing web page is uh, or a website is is static. But if you think about the old traditional, not change it too much marketing website, that may be true. And of course, in the world we're living in now, and we have customers like Figma and Brex and Netlify that do amazing things on their marketing stacks with with Sanity as the content platform. So we love Sanity for traditional marketing website applications. But you quickly see the breadth of the product and the importance of creating content as data once you start to have other sources and you really want to push this product experience out. And that's especially true, I think, for companies who come from the physical world and expand on their digital transformation. Because then truly this digital, whatever thing you're building becomes, for them, it's particularly important that they really think about the approach they take to that. Now that we've covered kind of thematically what Sanity is trying to do, maybe it's worth calling out some of the specific things it does. And I'll throw out a few of these as I understand it, but but you tell me what are the important ones. Portable text is interesting. Is that is that core to the product? It sounds like it's useful outside of Sanity, arguably. And this is kind of a, a potential standard, right? Yeah. I think it was a great sort of discussion on Hacker News when we codified it as a standard, because then you got this whole sort of like XML is better than <laughs> JSON for for yeah. sort of text, which is a, which is a classic. Um, I think it's I think it's it, for us. It's really when we looked at the again when you look at the fundamentals, you're kind of like you can use Markdown, you can use raw HTML, or maybe rather you need to make a format for encoding text. Uh, that makes it really easy to mix sort of data with OPI because you're sort of like, and and we looked at this and we were kind of like, oh, we're going to need like the ability to annotate block level elements. You're going to be able to need to be able to encode spans. And you're also going to need to have data structures that are kind of like, I want to put five images in a gallery inside of a text. And then I want to have portable text in the description fields, but only allow for bold and maybe geographical encoding in spans. It's kind of like when we talk to especially pub publishing companies, they become really happy because they can sort of express anything that ne they need for a sort of typesetting or anything that they, because they're very sort of text intensive companies and they see that they have all of this freedom of expression. So we're really happy about that sort of effort. And we, we hope that we can make that, both push that as a standard. And also we have quite a lot of tooling for it in terms of converting from and to it. Uh, but also we hope to launch standalone user interfaces that people can use to write portable text within inside of other applications. That's something that we are interested in them being able to do. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw that, you know, you wouldn't imagine in the future that people do a lot of editing of portable text directly. This is just kind of a 
transmission wire format. Uh, that's, it's human readable, but but um, not very. <laughs> not very. <laughs> yeah, not very. <laughs> it goes for all of sanity in the way we treat content. Yeah, it's JSON, and it's technically you could read the symbols, but that's the whole point of the Sanity Studio, our open source editing environment that only works with our hosted content lake, is that you could easily see all this as, as Google Docs-ish kind of experience. Mm. So we don't think humans should be exposed to JSON, but we think everything needs to be structured on the back end. So Portable Text is a, is a good example of that, of course. I think when also uh, one thing about Portable Text also when it's used within the Santi infrastructure, all of your text also becomes a queryable artifact. If you link to another object, you will get a reference viola violation if you try to delete the thing that's being referred to. You can also you can also query for anything that's in text because it's just a data structure also. So it also, along with everything else, becomes a sort of a queryable asset. Got it. You get, you get this element of kind of safety. I don't know if type safety is the right word, but also um, kind of dependency mapping and that you would hope from something structured yeah, you get you get data in integrity, but you also get the ability to sort of query. So you can ask sort of questions like, "Give me all of the articles that mention the actor Sigourney Weaver is a not only as free text, but the object, or give me give me articles that have more than five pictures, or give me uh, give me articles that contain mathematical formula." Or etc. Got it. Now you mentioned the open source editor, the content lake. We've talked about portable text and and the query language that that goes along with it, allowing you to you know, query JSON structured content. I thought the concept of uh, kind of transactions and patches is interesting. It is. It almost feels Git like. It kind of does. For us, these APIs arrived out of the necessity of many people editing this same document at the same time. And then you need like very atomic patches because they're all happening at the same time. So you have to be able to say that Magnus moved the document position in the array from index two to three. That needs to be an atomic patch. Evan edited a statistically probable piece of text in this running text here. And that's where all of these patch and, and mutation APIs uh, came from, that we needed to have this sort of bus of changes that we apply. And all of those changes are also stored. So all of the documents have a mutation log and a complete history down to debounce keystroke also. So you can roll, and there's an extremely compact format for these changes so that you can easily view them and quickly view them and also roll back any field to any previous state. But this really comes out of this real-time support that was a part of Santi at launch. I think it's fair to say, Eric, that some of the things we do is a little bit the chicken and egg. Because the what we just spoke about in terms of portable text, in terms of uh, real-time and, and um, the way we structured our backend, they were all needed in terms of delivering a good editing experience that is collaborative and that is real-time and all that. But there's, at the same time, there are the core components of treating content as data that scales in a, into solving many other problems than just, just real-time content uh, creation. And you can't really have a platform for structured content that really treats content as data unless the following things are true. Content needs to be structured, which, of course, you solve first step with JSON, which a lot of people would use on the back end. Second step, you need to make everything into an array of objects, so even text, portable text. Then you need a really good query language 
So you can approach that and transform it and distribute it wherever you want it. But you also need really good query APIs. You, you not only need this for the real-time aspect, but you need to make sure that you can interoperate other sources of truth and other parts of um, your organization, but also bots that are going to do work on that content. Because humans and machine needs to work together. And it's not only an editing tool. It's really a content platform. Mm. So, so in order to have that, you need to treat content as data, which then directly also gives you a real-time approach, which lends itself to proper collaboration without race condition, etc. And this is not really possible to treat without really giving people full freedom of the content model, as we discussed a bit earlier, which doesn't really make any sense if you not give people an open source editing environment that they can easily extend and customize. So we treat a couple of different things here, but, but they all fit very neatly together inside the vision that we believe in and how people should treat content. And I think it fits nicely in the vision of distribution. I imagine in times past, CMSs and related products were, were bought by marketing or IT. And, and part of the, the Jamstack revolution is empowering developers to pick their own tools. And, and I feel like if I were to, to build a content store from day one, it would, as a developer, I'd, I'd kind of want some of these elements. And, and I, I imagine these features speak to developers in a way that they maybe don't speak to marketing as powerfully. But fortunately, developers are empowered to buy infrastructure today because things are modular and, and they have opinions and they have more influence in the organization. Yeah, we see that a lot. And we see the, the best organizations, they take full control over their experiences versus customers, which means that they insource developers or maybe say work extremely closely with some agencies, but most often they would insource the developers. We also see this trend of marketing in certain organizations, marketing losing some of the say of these experiences because it's really an, an, a convergence between product and marketing. And maybe this speaks mostly to more physical businesses that are transforming digitally and there's an interface between marketing and product. So product people come in, they take charge, and we see that a lot. And they ask very different questions. Of course, they also have internal developers and, and they, they have different requirements for what they want to build. And in a way, you can say, Eric, every application has some sort of quote-unquote CMS-ish uh, part to it if they're going to treat content in some way. But nobody would ever put Adobe or WordPress or EpiServer as the back end for an application. They would use a database or something, put up some flat files somewhere or something. Now, why wouldn't you use this content infrastructure with a very flexible and extensible studio environment to power your application. That's what we're seeing. How's the best way to present the Sequoia-backed startup that treats video video filters and yeah, there, content? A, there are presentation software for video conferencing that allow you to integrate your slides into the video stream. That was well put. And they use Sanity as a content backend to the platform. Yeah, they use it for the media assets that they use in the application itself. And I think we're sort of like seeing, we're seeing some of that usage and then we're seeing it in marketing. Sort of some of the most interesting cases we see is when, when marketing integrates with product and data sources. So you have people like flowing data off of ERP systems into our backends and then treating that to actually describe the products themselves, tie marketing collateral to it, and then stream that out over APIs to all of the services that they need to power to actually get the product sold. 
So we're seeing some of these very sort of integrated database-like use cases. So we really see it sort of like Sandy is used for everything from setting up a blog on a Wednesday Eve uh, to powering some of these very business-critical large infrastructures for, for very large companies. And they're basically using the same feature sets, but in a different way, right? And it's also leveraging the competencies, the everyday competencies of modern devs. It's just JavaScript and it's just JSON and it's just the technologies that everyone knows at this point. This is fantastic. I could, I could go all day, but, but we should have you tell us about what you're up to today, what the future holds for you, and then we can wrap up. Yeah, we just closed um, our Series B funding round. We are um, very proud to get... Um, uh, iconic growth with Doug Pepper on board, joining our board. Also, uh, Lead Edge Capital is investing in the round. And uh, it's a total round of $39 million. So we feel a bit grown up. It's uh, something that was earlier than we anticipated, but it's a, roughly a year since we raised our A and we've been growing very fast, crippling our customer base. And uh, really also meeting the, the, the goals we set in terms of starting building out sales, starting out building our customer success. And we were finding ourselves sitting, looking at the next leap of the organization. How are we going to build this organization that can help us move the product forward, the community forward, the marketing and messaging forward, and all these things that we need to do to explain people how great a product this is. And we had a lot of interest. So we were lucky to, to close that round now recently. And uh, it, it's mainly going into building the organization further. We have been inbound all the way. We don't really spend on marketing every customer that we have comes through our funnel, which is very dev-centric. We've been broadening the vision of the product all the time along the way, and we'll continue to do that. And we have some clear directions where we'll take the product that we will we'll show you in, in over, the, over the months and years to come. But most importantly, we, we need to really build a sustainable company. We're all Norwegian. The Nordic is, is maybe not so known, but known for a couple of things. And one of the things we really want to make sure is that we build a strong culture in the company, really build a sustainable business approach. Because when we have really high ambitions for changing the, the whole way people think about content, we need a lot of people to, to subscribe to our vision. We're getting close to 100,000 signups, but we think in orders of magnitude, and the next one is a million. So we, we really need to make sure that we build a team that continue to build the product, both in the aspect of the community and the enterprises because of our ambiguous approach. And we, we need to continue to build with, with people who are great at helping us tell the story and lower the bar because what we're doing is quite technical. There's a lot of people who could have a lot of joy from what we're delivering, but could, could find it somewhat hard to use or somewhat intimidated by, especially me who's a noob dev, could find things to do with sanity quite difficult. And the, the question is, how difficult is sanity? Well, hard things should probably have a lot to do in that direction. And then its core part of our philosophy is to create a diverse community, because only then could we become a diverse team that can create a diverse uh, product. And that's, I think, fundamental to succeed on if we're going to succeed on our, our, our big goals. Well, you've clearly come a long way. It's an exciting time to be in the Sanity community. We, we mostly have open source projects on here, and you have this open source editor. But I think what's, what's really fitting, though, is you have this vibrant community, which I've interacted some with and, and, and people seem excited about. 
Where, where do folks go to get involved if listeners are excited by what we're talking about? If they go to Sandy.io, there's an uh, there's an npm uh, command that they can use to install Sandy in, in 120 seconds. If they want to hang out with uh, 10,000 other people who use the product, uh, you can go to slack.sandy.io to sign up for our, uh, our Slack community. Also build a cool thing. I don't know if you've seen Slack Exchange, mm. where we have a publicly facing surface for showing all the cool projects that people are making, the cool plugins that people are doing, the people in the community. This is something that started less than six months ago, so it's growing. But it's a source of inspiration for what people do and, mm. and what you can do with our platform. So there are multiple ways into Sanity. And follow us on um, Twitter. YouTube. Twitch. Fantastic. Magnus, Evan, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck to you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having us. Find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. <laughs>